0: a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure and now with this week's episode your host clinical psychologist dr nazanin moali hello there you are listening to episode 349 of Sexology podcast i'm your host dr nazanin moali You are listening to another episode in our sexy bucket list series. If you haven't downloaded our sexy bucket list ideas, make sure you are heading over in our show notes and downloading it now. It's going to be tons of fun and it will be free. Today, we're diving deep into the tantalizing world of tease, seduction, and the art of flirtation. And who better to guide us than the incredible Ruth Ramsey? Ruth, an acclaimed adult sex educator and coach, lights up rooms with her upbeat, pleasure-led approach to sexuality. She's not just any educator. She has a transformational coaching diploma, 14 electrifying years as a striptease artist, sparkling erotic award under her belt, and oh, did I mention her dynamic TEDx talk on sex? Ruth's mission to champion shame-free conversation about sex. In today's spicy episode, we're asking Ruth what's the secret sauce behind the masterful teasing, how does our body language speak louder than words, and how can we craft an alluring narrative that leaves our partner yearning for more. And for those of you dipping your toes into the world of role-playing or exploring fantasies, fear not, Ruth has got the best tips to help you navigate this exciting train. But before unleash the tease beast within us, here's a word from our sponsor that I know you'll love. For all of you insatiable learners out there, Sexual Health Alliance is a go-to program for you. They have a vibrant community of sex-positive professionals. Shaw brings you world-class expertise and platform to connect, learn, and yes, even form friendships. When I went to my sex therapy program, which was a good program, I like the colleague who was teaching it, but I don't think I know anyone from that program. Maybe a couple people that we say hi in passing. But I attended that Sexual Health Alliance study abroad program, and everyone was so welcoming, including the people who were teaching the class. And I formed meaningful friendship. I can consult with these people. They told me about their experiences, and they have such an open, kind, authentic community. I even spent time with their community when I went to ASAC conference. So if you want to learn, but also cultivate a really good community, Sexual Health Alliance is for you. And as I said that I attended their study abroad in Berlin, I'll tell you all about the fun we had. For now, head over to sexualhealthalliance.com to continue your seductive journey of learning. All right, guys, let's jump into today's episode and discover the art, science, and sheer thrill of teasing.
1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Ruth Ramsey to our show. Ruth, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I wanted to start with telling this story. I was just sharing with you. You were so generous. I think it's been now a year or so. Ago, You gifted me a class you were teaching on dancing, seductive dancing, right? And I got the notification. I was very excited about it. But I thought, okay, like perhaps the moves, the things that she's teaching, maybe it's for someone that, again, 20 years old. Like when you were thinking about seductive dances, we're thinking about like, you know, it's like a, I thought it was a different vibe. I love dancing. I, when I was younger, I had this DVD of Carmen Electra teaching striptease. I'm going to Mm -hmm. age myself when I'm saying that. (laughs) (laughs) But what was interesting about your teaching, it was very tasteful and it was something I could have done like myself, see myself doing it. Because we always talk about brand of sexuality and how how it's important for people to feel, what am I doing? It's me, right? We don't want to kind of copy someone else. So I love that class and workshop. And thank you so much for gifting me that workshop. And that's why we're thinking about talking about teasing. I was like, oh, Ruth, she's a coach. She has a dancing background. So I'm so excited that we're having this
2: conversation today. Wonderful. Well, I was so pleased when you accepted the invitation to the striptease workshop and then attended as well. I was like, wow, that's a means on the workshop. And I'm delighted to hear that you enjoyed it so much. It was fabulous. I got, so like the dance
1: routine choreography was beautiful, but also I can see that you're psychologically oriented. The things that you were teaching about touching the partner, all of those things, kind of calming and soothing the partner was very, very helpful. So Ruth, tell us, how did you get from a strip dancing, stripping to becoming a coach?
2: Well, there were several years in between. What had happened, I still loved stripping, but the kind of venues that I thrived at were closing down with the gentrification of East London or as happens in most cities. And I'd also met my now husband, Ned, and to be with him meant moving out of London. And I was also getting into my late thirties. I was aware that I couldn't strip full time forever. A lot of venues have a cutoff point at 40. So I'd started already thinking about what can I do next. But then, as I say, to be with my husband meant moving out of the city into the countryside, becoming a stepmom, which was something that I hadn't ever foreseen. And so my life took a totally different path for several years. During that time, I worked as a personal fitness trainer, which was great, but I allowed myself to acknowledge after a while that I just desperately missed being in in the sexy world. I still had all my striptease costumes and about once a year I'd get the big suitcase out and I'd think, right, I need to clear through these. I need to get rid of a lot of this. And I'd end up just sitting on the floor crying and not able to get rid of anything. I so missed working with erotic energy and sexual energy. So I didn't know how I would come back to it. Once my stepkids were old enough to know, hey, stepmom used to be a stripper and to understand a bit more about that. But lots of people had said, you'd make a good life coach. So I did a life coaching diploma, not knowing what I would do with it. And then a month after I graduated, somebody who knew I'd done that diploma and who also knew about my past said to me, would you coach me around sex? She said, I'm turning 40. I've got a finite number of shags left in me was how she put it. So the first thing was to make her realize that wasn't the case. But she said, specifically because of your background, I know you won't slut shame me. You won't judge me. I can't think of anyone. Well, there is no one in my life I can talk to about sex, but I feel I could talk to you. Do you think you could use your new coaching skills to help me with sex? So that was my light bulb moment that this was my way back into this world that I feel so at home in. What a
1: fascinating story. So I know we're talking about in this episode, seduction and teasing. And I know some people talk about teasing being a form of art. So tell us, what's the difference between masterful teasing
2: and just basic flirting? Well, to me, teasing includes subtlety, empathy, careful reading of the other person and how they're receiving what you're doing whereas flirting doesn't necessarily pay as much attention to that. Typically, when we talk about the art of tease, we're thinking about tease And a way to understand the difference between flirting and teasing in the context of dance is if you imagine being on a busy nightclub dance floor and dancing sexually in front of someone who you've met, met on the dance floor who you're attracted to. And it might kind of be sexy and beautiful, but it's going to be quite, quite blatant, probably. Now, if you imagine a skillful tease artist on a stage, very slowly removing a long satin glove and everybody in that room being transfixed by that movement, that's the art. So flirting has its place and it's wonderful and it's fun. But when we're teasing, we're going a bit deeper, as I say, on that creativity, empathy, and reading of the other person's reactions. So when we're talking about flirting, it's more kind of
1: like focus on the giver in a way, right? Like their emotion, Mm. what they're experiencing, but with teasing, it's more relational and also focus on the partner.
2: Absolutely. Obviously, there's an overlap between the two. Skillful flirting can definitely be classed as teasing. Beautiful. Well, How else I know you have a background
1: in dancing. How did you get into that realm? Like your your routine was so
2: beautiful and I'm curious about that. Well, it had always been my fantasy since I was quite a small girl. I don't know how I first learned what it was. I think maybe watching the dancing girls at the start of James Bond films. I remember reading a scene in an Ian Fleming James Bond book with a striptease artist And I always had this fantasy of being on a stage and doing a sexy striptease. I didn't think I'd ever get the chance to actually do that. I'm 48 now. So at this time I was having this fantasy. It was the late 80s, early 90s and strip clubs and striptease weren't as public as they are now. So I worked hard at school. I went to journalism college. And then I was working as a fashion journalist. I was in my mid-twenties when I saw an advert for London School of Striptease. And it was a brand new school. And I thought to myself, let's just go and explore this fantasy that I've always had. I didn't realise that that was going to lead to actually stripping in total for about 14 years. Wow. 10 years, 10 years full time. Yeah. So I was the first of the students at the school to go from being a student to actually giving giving it a try. And then for a year I was part-time in my journalism job and part-time dancing. And then I just loved the dancing so, so much that I packed in the journalism and became a full-time striptease artist. I love it. What a beautiful story of following what you wanted and kind of being mm. curious
1: and then kind of thinking about that's something you wanted to do. And I know as a coach, probably you implement so many things that you you learn through those experiences
2: in your practice. Absolutely. Part, a big part of it was conversation because when you're working as a striptease artist, and I will use the term stripper, which some people sometimes say, Oh, is that a bit derogatory? But I don't find it derogatory at all. So I'll use the term stripper. When you're working as a stripper, so much of your job is about conversation and you're talking about sex and sexual topics, both out in the audience, but also typically in the dressing room with the other performers. It's a very, erotically charged environment, both sides of the stage curtain. And it just made me so comfortable talking about sex, particularly talking with men about sex. The kind of venues that I danced at weren't high sales pressure, pushing, pushing, pushing for lap dances. They were very relaxed. Most of our money was made on stage shows. So you could sit and in between your stage shows, sit and chat to guys. And it gave me... A lot of exposure to a lot of different ways of looking at sex, definitions of sex, a lot of needs, wants, desires and problems. In the dressing room, the dances were international. And so again, exposure to a lot of different attitudes and definitions around sex. So it made me incredibly comfortable to talk and very open-minded. Early on in that dancing, I was nominated for an erotic award. So this is an annual award show that still happens in the UK that has categories, including striptease artist of the year, sex worker, writer, film, et cetera, et cetera. And it recognizes not only skill, but intent as well. So even though I was a new dancer on the scene, everyone knew, oh, she's wanted to do it since she was a little girl. Very quickly, I was using my journalism skills to write about dancers' rights, erotic rights making quite a lot of noise in that respect. So I was nominated in the Stripper of the Year category. And the charity which the awards, the proceeds of the awards go to is the Outsiders Trust. And it helps people with physical disabilities find sexual and romantic partners. I became so comfortable talking to anyone and everyone and exposed to so many ideas of what sex is and what sex can be and should be that I consider myself unshockable now. I'm told that as a coach, my USP is making people feel entirely comfortable. People will come on to the start of a discovery call saying, oh, I'm so nervous. I've never spoken to anybody about this kind of thing before. And within a few minutes, they'll be comfortable. Now, when I teach striptease, it's very usual for my client, particularly if they're a woman of a certain age, a woman in midlife or above, to be saying, as we're about to go into the dance studio, what am I doing? This is crazy. This is the most ridiculous idea I've ever had. I'm a mother. I'm 48. And I'll calm them down. And within five, 10 minutes in that dance studio, they're entirely comfortable. And I think what they're tuning into with the dancing and the coaching is my comfort level. And that comfort level has come from all those years of stripping. Definitely.
1: I love that. What an interesting story. And I have a question that might sound silly to you. And I've been kind of like thinking about it for years. I think strip clubs, as you know, they're kind of different quality. But I, what I find that at times I talk to my husband is that, why would you go to strip clubs? So it's my experience. is like going to a restaurant, see this delicious meal. And they're <laughs> taking it around and you're just not eating. So you said like you talk to lots of people that are come in mm. to strip clubs. What are some of the motivation that takes people to kind of watch the show?
2: Some people, myself included, just simply love to be in an erotic environment, in an erotically open-minded space and don't require that then to lead to anything else. There are people who will say exactly what you just did. I would be talking to people outside of work and they might say, a guy might say, I never go to strip clubs because it's like having a the delicious plate of food put in front of you and not eating. So for some people, it doesn't work. But for other people, just being in that environment and allowing themselves to be comfortable as part of that environment in its own way, I think is very enriching. Linked to that, I think being seen as an erotic being, as a sexual being, is very, very important. I think it's part of human connection and the human experience. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't get that in their day-to-day life. Maybe they are in a marriage or long-term relationship where the sexual connection has gone and they don't feel seen sexually. Maybe they're in a relationship, but it's a phase within the relationship where they're not being seen. Maybe we're talking about a man and maybe his female partner has recently given birth and, of course, her energy and attention is on the baby and he's not being seen erotically. Or it could be someone who doesn't have a partner, doesn't fit society's rules of who's conventionally attractive or who deserves erotic recognition. It could be somebody with a disability. And for these people, the power that exists within just being acknowledged and recognised sexually, I think is incredibly important. For me, it was probably my favourite part of being a striptease artist. And I'm getting goosebumps talking about this. I didn't think we were going to come to this topic. But for somebody to come into a striptease venue, not standing up straight, not able to make eye contact with anyone, looking kind of beaten down by life, and to see them leaving an hour or two hours later, standing tall, chin lifted, able to look people in the eye, I think it goes beyond just sexual recognition. I think there's a lack of eye contact in society now. The key element of a good striptease or tease, which we'll come on to later, is eye contact. And as a stripper on a stage, if you're doing a good job, you are having a lot of eye contact and you are seeing those people. I did quite a lot of work with people with disabilities and around the cause of erotic recognition and rights for people with disabilities. And one of the events I used to dance at was an annual event called Extreme Burlesque, which was a show for people with disabilities. And it was incredibly moving because women would turn up in the audience with feather boas, corsets, makeup, all sorts like that. So, you know, corsets draped over them in the wheelchair or whatever it might be for them, and they would say to me afterwards, thank you so much for giving me a space where I can be a sexual person, where I can demonstrate and take joy through dressing like this, through even being here, in me being a sexual person, because there's no other space in my life where I can do this. So I think striptease can be incredibly powerful. You asked me why would people go, and what I've just said is a big, big part of the reason. But then also it's fun, it's flirty, it's a turn on. Maybe you're admiring the dancers, whole dance skills, or their dance skills, their ways that they're interpreting the music and the song, the outfits that they're choosing. There's lots and lots of reasons to go and enjoy looking at that plate of food and, and smelling and enjoying the vibe of that plate of food, even if you can't actually eat it. Absolutely. And again, it doesn't, it's not like a, why
1: would people go? Because like it's bad. It's like it's so good.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And you
1: can't mm-hmm. have the food. Why, why go? But I know that there's like so many different layers to it. And it is truly when it's done well, which I'm sure that was your, I assume like that was your performance. It's a true so, form of art, right? Like seeing an art form. So you talked about people feeling seen and I think that's at heart of the teasing, right? So we're talking about teasing. So and I know people talk about teasing play a role in enhancing intimacy and connections between partners.
2: Can you tell us more about that? Well, as you say, being seen is a key part of teasing. You can't tease someone without being tuned into them and without seeing them. So this is part of the appeal of the tease. If somebody is teasing you and we will go through how to make sure someone is in the right mood and how to tailor the teasing to them, for example. But if somebody is teasing you and you are up for that and enjoying that, you feel very connected to them. If you imagine an opposite example. So, so often now you have a couple sat on the sofa in the evening on their phones, on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. Try and imagine that couple teasing each other. You can't, you know, they would have to put the phones down and turn to each other. So it's a way of being connected and it's a way of being seen. Definitely. Beautiful, beautiful. So how can people build and harness this
1: kind of sense of anticipation effectively? Because Mm. you're right that many people are disconnected and sometimes we have been disconnected for years. So like if you want to
2: kind of like cultivate that energy, what are some of the recommendations you have? Well, my first recommendation would be to have a conversation about it. I personally think there's actually not a lot within sex that benefits from being entirely spontaneous and a surprise and out of glue. I think a heads up and definitely a check- in whether it's a good time is the groundwork that needs to be put in place so a conversation about maybe starting with your own examples. I love it when you, you, and examples of ways in which you like to be teased. We can think about physical teasing. So touch that doesn't go quite as far as you might be hoping it would, for example, but then we can also think about psychological teasing, about messages saying, I've got a surprise for you later, for example. But with all of that, I do recommend checking in first that it's the right time. An example I'll give here is if we think about your partner slapping you on the backside and about how con- sensation is context dependent, like that. So if you're in a bad mood, your mind is occupied with something negative that's happened, always stress, and your partner walks through, doesn't read that body language at all, and slaps you on the backside, you're probably not going to be happy at all. Whereas if, it's, if you're relaxed and things are already flirty and they do that, you'll react in a very different way. If you're not ready for teasing and your partner starts teasing you, it can be downright irritating. So as the partner who maybe is in a bit of a teasing or playful mood, just to check in. Say, are you up for a bit of fun? How are you doing? What mood? What mood are you in? And just checking in if it's okay. Are are you up for a bit of playtime? And so then from that point to start gently teasing, we need to be attuned to what works for our partner. And this is where the conversation comes in. So it might be that one person, you might think, oh, I can imagine teasing my partner by pretending to be a kind of naughty, spoiled brat and sticking my tongue out at them and not doing what they ask me to do. For the partner, that might be the worst thing they can imagine. It might remind them of bad memories with exes or something like that. So to have a conversation, if we were to get a bit teasy and a bit flirty, what would work for you? That can help avoid those kinds of misunderstandings.
1: I love that, kind of like checking in with the partner. I think the wording that he use are you up for some fun, right? It's Mm. it's such a great way of inviting the partner to this space it doesn't seem mm. like mechanical but in a way it's kind of like playful and fun so I think that's that's a great way of putting it and I agree with you that some of us that are just like very in the zone of doing different things you might even miss it if our partner wants to do things or kind of being seductive you might just be in your own element and they might feel rejected so it's good that like you're bringing intentionality to the experiences with making that deliberate invitation and my understanding mm. with seduction and teasing is like increasing the heat so what are mm. some of the beginner playful like gestures that can be seductive well
2: can i just go back a step when we're checking in i are, are you up for a bit of flirty fun we're also giving the partner an opportunity to say no and therefore not put them in a position of pressure so if you're having a bad day for some reason, and you get a cheeky text from your partner with with various emojis saying, hey, I've got a surprise for you when you get home, you might feel pressured. Oh no, I'm going to have to respond to this in a way they're going to like. And I don't think I'm in the mood really. But if I tell them that they're going to think they've done something wrong, or I'm going to feel like a letdown as a partner. And what we don't want around teasing is any kind of pressure or stress. If you have started teasing and you realize your partner isn't receiving it well, so they're not making eye contact, maybe they're turning away slightly, then to say something like, should we save this for another day is a way to approach that. So it's giving them that get out clause and not making them either go along with something they don't want to do or have to tell you, I don't want this, I'm not in the mood for this. If you know your partner well and you know what relaxes them, then if you're in a teasy, playful mood and you realize they're not, they're not there, then to help them relax first and de-stress first and then introduce the concept of teasing would be the way I'd recommend approaching it.
1: Beautiful said. Like we don't want it. I think that one of the things that historically kills the dynamic and for so many heterosexual couples is that constant pursuing and kind of feeling the pressure and all of that. they not coming from the bad place. It's wonderful that you desire your partner, but also it's important to be kind of at the time and space that they don't feel the pressure and they're also open for the fun.
2: Yeah. I think a challenge comes in if one of you enjoys a long, slow build up to sex and enjoys kind of mental or physical Slow energy exchange and a slow build up, and your other, and if the other partner is more kind of directly sexual, and goes very quickly from the start of getting turned on to wanting direct sexual contact, that can be a challenge because we don't want that partner to feel frustrated. Teasing should be enjoyable, ideally rather than frustrating. But in that scenario, if the partner understands why it's important to the first partner. And if they can find a kind of middle ground where there can be some time for that. If you are stripping or lap dancing for a partner and your partner is that zero, zero to a hundred in three seconds type, get them to sit on their hands, definitely, while you're dancing for them. But it's, that, it's all about communication. Like, like everything with sex.
1: And I think that can be sexy. Like, you know, wanting something really bad and you're not getting it in that moment. So tell us more about the suggestive gestures that can kind of spark interest.
2: Mm. Well, I will say this is going to vary depending on culture and age as well, to a degree. So something that someone in their 50s is going to recognize as being a, a teasing, seductive gesture will be different to what someone in their 20s might recognize. But I think the key element is eye contact. If you hold eye contact with a smile as well with your partner for longer than you do at standard in day-to-day life, this is without work and hopefully your partner is going to think, okay, what's going on here? What's What's on their mind? This is if you've chosen the right time. Maybe you've checked in that afternoon. You know, will you be up for a bit of fun later? That extended eye contact and the smile is, I think, the first step. And from there, kind of strip stripper skills style to start to draw their attention to your body. So it's a cliche, but looking at them smiling and starting to stroke your hair or wind a bit of hair around your finger. Maybe if you've got some bare skin, if you're wearing short sleeves, or if you've got a top with a neckline, just to start stroking your skin. And you're giving the visual impression that you have started thinking sexy things in your mind. And then that's where the intrigue begins. To take it a step further in terms of striptease, on a stage as a stripper, you're working with eye contact and facial expression, but then you're also directing the audience's gaze with your own. And this was in the striptease workshop that you took part in. So if you have good, strong eye contact with someone and a smile, ideally, which shows you are happy to have that eye contact and enjoying that eye contact. And then you start to stroke, say, down your neck and then down your cleavage and you drop your eyes to your fingertips as they stroke down your cleavage. The other person will look where you look. They will drop their eyes. I don't know if you remember this from the lesson.
1: <laughs> I loved it. You and know that what just, I loved about yeah. your lessons were like filled with actionable things and
2: kind of like psychological play. Yeah, yeah. Please. Yeah. So you can do that in a partner scenario as well. And this would work well, say if you were out in public somewhere where they maybe wondered how far you were going to go with it or where they couldn't touch you back to smile and then maybe rest your hand on your bare leg and just slowly draw little fingers with your fingertips, circles with your fingertips, slowly draw little circles with your fingertips, making them want to do what you're doing, but they're in a place where they can't do that. Then I can see you're smiling. This is, it's playful. This is about the tease. I think one of the wonderful things about tease is it slows things down and pretty much everybody... I speak to could do with slowing things down in sex. It works with the concept of responsive desire where we need to create an appealing, sexy appealing scenario and put some effort into that maybe before we're actually physically feeling turned on. The time it takes to tease allows for that and it's playful. Something that I ask people when I have discovery chats or when I'm just chatting with people generally about sex, as well as clients, I'll say what three words describe your ideal sex life? And the word that comes up most often from all genders is playful. It's not passionate, connected, intimate, exciting, which are other words that come up. It's playful, which shows how we're lacking in play, I think, in sex now. And teasing enables us and in kind of encourages us to bring play back. I love that. And I know that some people say it's like
1: a storytelling, right? Like at the mm. beginning of the story, and unless you're building up that beginning, no one is watching that movie. <laughs> or unless they <like, laughs> choose to, right? So I think beginning is really important. So how can individual people kind of craft that narrative, like for their partner and for themselves? Because I think big part, I and mean, when I do seduction and teasing, I do a big part of it for myself as well, right? So I think that's part of it. Sometimes people think it's something you do for your partner,
2: but it could be all of the above. So what do you recommend? Well, when we talk about narrative in teasing, as, as someone who was a striptease artist for so long, my thoughts immediately go to narrative in striptease. It can be applied also to role play, for example, in partnerships. And it's thinking about a story that takes you out of your normal patterns with sex. Because as we know, we can have a couple in a long-term relationship who maybe have sex once a week, but it can be done almost on autopilot. They know what works for each other. They do enjoy it. Maybe they both orgasm and then they go to sleep. And yes, they have had enjoyable sex, but they're not fully engaged and present in the way that ideally they would be. And teasing allows that and enables that. And if the teasing involves a narrative that takes them out of those usual patterns. So to give a strip tease example, if you've been together for a very long time and are very comfortable with each other and have full access to each other all the time, then to do a striptease where you are pretending to be kind of coy and sort of slightly nervous of them and shy of them again, maybe using music that was around when you got together, that can help reignite those feelings of being new to each other. For me, when Tina Turner passed away, which is several weeks before we're recording this, that weekend, I'd already said to my husband, on Friday night, I'd like to dance for you. It was our 10th wedding anniversary coming up. It was quite a while since I'd danced for him. And so I'd given the heads up. I said, on Friday night, I'd like to dance for you. And Tina Turner had passed away that week. So partly as a tribute to her, but partly as a contrast to our usual vibe, I danced to him to Private Dancer pretending to be disconnected from him, that I didn't care about him. All those lyrics in that song, that he was meaningless, keeping my eyes on the wall. It is the opposite of the usual vibe in our relationship. And that's what made it super hot. And you're leaning forward slightly. So I'm telling this, you know, you're being drawn in to the energy of it. So if you can think what's the opposite to the usual vibe we have, and then start to play with that, that's a great starting point. Oh my God, I love this story so much. <laughs> the creativity and <laughs> you know, also how to
1: bring intentionality and attention, right? Like you're loving mm. and kind of connected, more of that might not hook the attention, right? Or might not have that that same impact. Mm. So for couples that they haven't done it in the past, you know it's at times it takes kind of more of try on error, but kind of having more of teasing. What are some of the common mistakes that you see that people make when they kind of like make an attempt to tease their partner?
2: I think the first one would be just choosing the wrong time. Choosing the time that they feel teasing and playful without properly reading their partner and is it the right time for them? I think if we're new to teasing kind of play, we can be nervous and our focus naturally is on ourselves. And am I going to be brave enough to do this? We need to also be paying attention to the partner to make sure it's the right time. I think also if the partner's had a bit of a heads up, if this is unusual behavior, then that means that they're not going to react from a place of surprise or shock or worry about what's going to be required of them next. Sometimes I speak to women who will say, oh, well, I surprised my partner in a sexy black lingerie. He hadn't seen me anything like, in anything like that in years and it was a total surprise and he looked me up and down and laughed or he looked me up and down and said, what have you got that for? And I felt crushed and I put it away and I've never put it on again. And a similar thing could happen in teasing. I mean, certainly if someone was going to try and do a strip tease as a surprise, but what we need to remember is the partner might be shocked or uncomfortable or wondering what do I need to do in return? What pressures are going to be put on me? Can I live up to this? So they might react with something that's offhand or hurtful just because they don't know what else to do in that moment and they just want to shut it down in that moment. And if we've heard, what are you doing? You look ridiculous or don't be so silly, then we're not going to want to do that again. If we've checked in first and had a conversation first, so for example, if we've got a new lingerie that's entirely out of character and we haven't dressed up for our partner in years, then to give a little bit of a heads up earlier. I've got something special that I'd like to wear for you. I'm a little bit nervous about it, but I think you're going to like it. And that gives them that heads up and hopefully they'll be excited about that. So with Tease, it's giving that heads up and also asking them what they would like, what's going to work for them. As I said, we can think of kind of physical teas. So I'm someone who absolutely loves delayed direct gratification. So the more stroking I get before any direct erogenous zones revolve, the better. And I'm not going to get bored of it. (laughs) Whereas for somebody else, that might be boring for them. Somebody might love whispers in the ear, might love to have a text on the hour every hour with the next line of I've got a surprise for you later, then an hour later, I am going to dot, 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 and then an hour later, undress you so slowly, dot, dot, dot. For someone else, that kind of build-up might be exquisite. So we can think of psychological and physical. We're bringing technology in there as well. I think smartphones are the number one thing that have killed off people's sex lives, but we can use them. As in that example, we can use them to our advantage. And then again, like with everything in sex, I think it's about experimentation and realizing that we're not going to get it right first time. When I'm teaching someone striptease, specifically with them intending to do it for a partner, I'll say to them, remember when you, when you do it, hopefully this is going to be the first of many stripteases. It's not just this one chance and it's never going to happen again. If you end up getting so nervous that you end up just dissolving in a fit of giggles, if your partner can't keep a straight face, it doesn't matter. You can you can do it again a week later, a week later. And with teasing, it's almost a way of getting to know our partner in a new way, getting to know another facet of our partner and of how they get turned on. And so treat it as, as a learning journey. And don't worry if it doesn't work first time. I like that a lot. And I think it goes both
1: ways, right? So, so sometimes people do things like surprising their partner for the anniversary birthday, they do a thing that's in the neighborhood of the person wants, right? It might not be quite that, but it is kind of like in that neighborhood. And I always tell people half the love is there and then no, no love. I don't know if that's a saying or something like that. So like, you know, if you want your partner to be motivated to do that, I think it's helpful to be encouraging. Right. So it's Mm. always, it's important to be, give a candid feedback maybe later on, but it's like a play. Like sometimes people are very Mm. kind of like rigid in a way about the script that they have and they can come up not encouraging. So I think like if you're starting and your partner is doing a good enough job, my invitation is for you guys to acknowledge that and kind of be playful with it and just don't go necessarily, as you mentioned, for perfection. So a bit of our listeners, they want to learn more about you. You have such a fascinating practice, experiences. So what are some of the
2: places they can get a hold of you? Well, everything I do is summarized on my website, which is Ruth Ramsey with an A, A-Y, RuthRamsay.com. And then on Instagram as well. And Nazanin, you know that I'm on Instagram all the time, but I love getting DMs. And on there, I'm ruthramsey underscore. And then every Saturday, I write what I don't really call a newsletter because it's not about my news. I write a bulletin called Something for the Weekend, which intends every weekend to give readers something tangible that they can experiment with or that they can try to make their sex life hotter that weekend. And I'm on Substack with that as Ruth Ramsay, or you can sign up to it direct from my website as well. Beautiful. Well, I'm curious.
1: I have to opt in in that newsletter. <laughs> I like adventure and I love new things. Thank you so much for coming on this show. It was delightful to have you and this conversation. I bet it's going to help many, many of our listeners and hopefully we will have you back in the future.
2: I would love to. Thank you so much. And
0: as we draw this episode to a close, let's reflect on the power of teasing, especially within the fabric of long-term relationships, in the continuous stance of intimacy, Teasing reintroduces that element of mystery and curiosity, elements so often present in the early stages of love. Teasing reminds us that even in the predictability of a long-term bond, there's always something new to discover, a new layer to unravel. It's the oscillation between the known and the unknown, between certainty and surprise that keeps your relationship vibrant and alive. On a different note, for those of you who've completed our survey, thank you so much. It helped me a lot to see what kind of a topic you're interested in in learning more about what would be useful for you. And we announced the lucky winner in our show notes. So we just did a raffle. We put it on the newsletter. Also check out the show notes to see who's the lucky winner or lucky winners because we were giving three Amazon gift cards. Perhaps the tease our own. We kept you waiting just long enough. Go on, see if fortune has favored you today. At the end, I wanted to also take a moment and thank our sponsor, Sexual Health Alliance. It's one of the best programs out there. I always have heard about the program. I have many colleagues that they teach in that program. Many of our previous guests are supervisors there, but I didn't know how great it is. I attended their Sexual Health Study Abroad program in Berlin last spring. And it was fantastic. Dr. Justin Lehmiller was teaching about BDSM, teaching about LGBTQI scene in Berlin. And it was truly an amazing experience. Besides gathering good information, what was very unique about their program was that how, first of all, students from all walks of life were getting certification through them whether they were physicians, nurses, ex-dominatrix, people from business field. It was such a diverse group, but very welcoming. Whenever I hang out with their students, I personally learn a lot because of their different expertise and curiosity and interest in the field of sexual health and their classes are top-notch. It's actually the only sponsor I ever I approached them. So I was having a drink with director at one of the bars in Berlin. I told her, your program is so great. You should advertise for it because again, I thought it's one of the few programs, but I didn't know how awesome it is. So if you are interested to get your certification in sex therapy, become a sex educator head over to sexualhealthalliance.com, check out their program. They have tons of conferences, virtual programs that you can check it out. Anyhow, thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, keep the flame alive, keep teasing and keep exploring the depth and playfulness of love. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com.